real news. Wow. I think I should stop tweeting what I'm going to be talking about because then I have difficulties connecting to my servers. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. It's uh, June 10th, 2020, and uh, I'm about three minutes late on air. Uh, so it's, 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 it's been an interesting day. Very interesting day. Uh, so today I wanted us to kind of... Um, Look again or listen to uh, A.G. Barr's interview, that's first, and talk about that a little bit. But then we're going to get into some real stuff, some stuff nobody wants to talk about, yet it's very important. And today, uh, for those of you that are my subscribers on Subscribestar, I popped a little bit of a tidbit on there. Uh, pretty interesting, ticks me down memory lane and lets you know about things because I've said this before, history is skewed. That's number one. Number two, there are set playbooks. You cannot work outside of the programming at all because once you fall out of the programming, it's uncharted waters and artificial intelligence can't take over. (laughs) Man, I wonder. Anyway, let's start with... uh, Let's start with the, with with Attorney General Barr because we're going to dive into some really deep things today. Because uh, I want all of you to think about it. Uh, I want you to think about it because you know. Let me just you know. Let's just start with Barr. I'm I'm going to leave it at that because today I've got some really interesting tidbits. So let's start with his interview. Let's go. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Brett. The effort across the country, uh, there is this movement to defund police departments. The Minneapolis City Council with a veto-proof vote uh, saying they're going to essentially dismantle that police department. What do you make of that effort and what it means for the country? Well, I think it's the exact opposite uh, of the way we should go. You know, I understand, given the the history of racial injustice in this country, why the African-American community, or at least some of it, would view uh, the ghastly events in Minneapolis as manifestations of institutional racism in police departments. But I think, in fact, over the past 50 or 60 years, we've had a lot of reform of uh, police departments. I was attorney general 30 years ago, and I can tell you there's a world of difference. Uh, Today, the police chiefs, the rank-and-file officers understand the need for change, and there has been great change. And I think uh, defunding the police, holding the entire police structure responsible for the actions of certain officers is wrong, and I think it's dangerous to demonize police. But so how do these bad cops, if you want to call them that, get through in these systems? Do you blame police unions? Do you blame the systems themselves for not weeding them out? How do you address what obviously is this frustration and anger? Well, not referring to any particular case, I think you have to remember this is not a monolithic system. There are thousands of different police forces. There are approximately 900,000 police officers in the United States. And right now, there's a crisis in policing because it's a very tough job. We have, or we had before COVID, a full employment economy. 
And if anything, we've had trouble attracting people and retaining people as police officers. We want the best, most responsible people we can get. And we have to attract them into the profession. We have to retain them. We have to train them. Uh, and we have to continue to professionalize our police forces. We have, generally speaking, excellent police forces in the United States. None of us as individuals want to be lumped together with others. We want to be judged by what we do as individuals. We don't want the misconduct of others attributed to us. And that's in every walk of life. You know, one of the, one of the legitimate grievances of the African-American community is that they're treated with suspicion and braced simply because they're African-Americans. And that does happen. By the same token, demonstrators, peaceful demonstrators, shouldn't be treated as violent extremists simply because they're out on the streets. It's the same with police officers. Every organization has individuals who engage in misconduct, and we have to be very careful before we say the whole organization is rotten. What would happen if a major American city, Chicago, D.C., disbanded its police department? What would that look like? Would what? the federal government have to step in? Well, what it would look like is you would have increases in vigilanteism and you would have increasing chaos in, in the city. And that's why doing things that prevent us from having a strong, effective police force are counterproductive. You'll end up having more killings. And that's been shown time and time again. But so a major American city doing that, you're saying, would be dangerous? Absolutely. You know, I think we have to put things in perspective. Obviously. When police use excessive force, they have to be held accountable. And right here, both the state and federal government zoomed in and immediately took up the matter. There's no question. It's, it's an issue and has to be dealt with. But in terms of sheer numbers, is it is it these police officers who are oppressing African-American communities? There are a lot more damage, a lot more killing. Uh, a lot more fear engendered on the streets from criminal elements in Chicago, for example, in one, e uh, one weekend, you know, 60, 70 people shot. Uh, if you pull back the police from these communities, there'll be, uh, there'll be more harm done to these communities. Uh, the president, you know, has, has been attempting to address the criminal justice reform issue. Uh, he did the first step act. He set up the first police commission since Lyndon Johnson. And we've been looking precisely at these issues and we'll be coming out very shortly with our proposals on this. Uh, and he's also uh, advanced uh, uh, opportunity zones in the inner city. And he's pushing for school choice for inner city parents. That's, a, that's to me, the civil rights issue uh, of our era, is giving these parents the wherewithal to educate their children in the best schools possible. And, and so he is addressing that. I think pulling the police back from these communities would, would, would make it far more difficult uh, for these communities to have the equal opportunity and the full participation in the American dream that they deserve. As you know, there's a House bill, an effort uh, for police reform from Congress. Um, it includes a few things. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. A national misconduct register for police. Well, I haven't looked at the proposal, so I'm not exactly but sure. But on the issue of those... But, but you know, on issue by issue, I think we have to be... There, there's a prudent balance to be struck between making sure we can hold wrongdoers accountable. Police is not like sitting in an office, you know, checking boxes. We put these individuals into highly charged, dangerous situations where their own life is at stake, their adrenaline's pumping and so forth, and, and we have to make sure we treat them fairly in those kinds of circumstances. Banning chokeholds? I think we should ban chokeholds, lateral chokeholds, uh, except when uh, it's necessary to meet lethal, you know, to, uh, unless 
police officers confronted with potentially lethal force. But uh, I think there's a general agreement among police agencies that we need clearer standards. We have to make sure those standards are trained to, and we have to make sure that there are systems in place that hold officers accountable. I think there's universal agreement on that. So is that a federal effort? Does that suddenly become a federal training effort? I think we're going to need a, a strong federal participation in this effort in helping to set standards. A lot of uh, talk about Monday, um, kind of relieving the moment there in Lafayette Park. Um, if you had to do Monday over again, would you do something different? Uh, based on what I know now, no. Uh, you know, uh, on Monday, we were reacting to three days of extremely uh, violent uh, demonstrations uh, right across from the White House. Uh, a lot of uh, injuries to police officers, arson. Things were so bad that the Secret Service recommended the president go down to the bunker. We can't have that in our country. Uh, and so the decision was made we had to move the perimeter one block. Uh, and, and that is what we were doing. Did the president tell you that he was planning on walking over to the church? No, he didn't tell me. I found out later that afternoon that he might go outside the White House. But as I've said, the decision to actually move out the perimeter was, was initially made Sunday night by the park police uh, in the early morning hours. On Monday when I arrived, I agreed with the general uh, conception of moving out the perimeter so we could fortify, uh, in, in the sense of a stronger fencing and so forth, uh, Lafayette Park, uh, and also uh, give some breathing space. Uh, and that decision was uh, set in execution at 2 o'clock with all the uh, police tactical uh, chiefs. But, I mean, seeing what has come from it and the image that has at least been perceived... You wouldn't do it differently? What, what, well, the image has, has somewhat been created and uh, miscreated in the sense that I haven't seen any videos on TV of all the violence uh, that was happening preceding that. you were hit or something or thrown, something was thrown at you? Well, I, I did go to the park uh, before uh, the actual uh, uh, operation to uh, move out the perimeter, and I personally saw projectiles thrown, and two were thrown at me. And the police officers there and my security detail made me move back because they said that projectiles had been landing in a certain area, rock, things like rocks. Bottle was thrown at me. You said you wouldn't do anything differently, but the perception of clearing out the park, understanding you made the decision earlier, and then the president walking over, even the visual of kind of the group all white, mostly male, um, it sent an image that a lot of people jumped on and said that it wasn't a good thing for the president in retrospect. I asked you, would you do anything differently? Would you do anything differently on the even the walk over to the church? You were there, so was the defense secretary, so was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Well, <clears throat> you know, it's not, it, it, that was a, a decision for the White House and the president to make. My decision that you asked me about earlier was moving the perimeter one block to provide greater security for the White House, and I would do the same. And I'm, I don't sit as a critic of, you know, uh, of, of these kinds of leadership decisions made at the White House. But as I've said, the President of the United States should be able to walk one block from the White House out to the Church of Presidents. He should be able to do that. And, I, and, and you know, this canard that this uh, exercise was done to make that possible is totally false. 
uh, I don't see anything wrong with the president walking over to the church. The, the perception is that the president was calling for, I don't know how many, their number is 10,000, but let's say just thousands of active military troops on the ground. Did you push back on the use of the Insurrection Act? There was no need to push back. Uh, I think everyone was on the same page. I think we, what we were discussing is what would be necessary around the country and in D.C. specifically. Uh, and I think everyone agreed that uh, if it became necessary, we could resort to federal troops as a last resort. There's a lot of people that have been charged with crimes related to the protests that devolved into riots and looting. To my knowledge, none of the criminal complaints have mentioned Antifa. Uh, why is that? We have some uh, investigations underway and very uh, focused investigations on certain individuals that relate to Antifa. But in the, in the uh, initial phase of uh, identifying people and arresting them, uh, they were arrested for crimes that don't require us to identify a particular group or don't necessitate that. Does Antifa have leaders? It's a very loosely uh, organized group, and they, and they have sort of a unique or, or unusual uh, system of communication and organization. There are people who can be characterized as leaders in any given situation. Are there people funding this effort, an organized effort that goes beyond state-specific, that funding the effort broadly, and are you going after those people? There appear to be uh, sources of funding, and we are looking into the sources of funding. And there, you know, there is clearly some, uh, you know, high degree of organization involved at, at some of these events, and, and and coordinated tactics that we're seeing, and we're looking into that as well. Uh, and and some of it uh, relates to Antifa. Some of it relates to groups that act very much like Antifa. Uh, there, as I said, there's a witch's brew of extremist groups that are trying to exploit this situation on all sides. When you look back at COVID-19 and what has happened, um, do you think we will conclude that elected officials went too far in shutting down society to the point of trampling Americans' uh, fundamental constitutional rights? I think given the uncertainty involved, uh, and the very uh, fast pace of the infection, especially in certain areas, the original 30-day or so, or, and even maybe with some extensions, uh, measures uh, were appropriate. But I think uh, that as time has gone by, uh, the degree of impingement on fundamental liberties uh, has never been anything like this in the United States. Nationally, forbidding people from engaging in their livelihood uh, telling them to stay home uh, is a sort of a form of house arrest in many places. Have these protests and demonstrations and what we've seen across the country changed that dynamic? Well, I think it should because it raises a fundamental question, which is why should some people who are enjoying their First Amendment rights by going out and protesting uh, have, have broader rights than other people who may want to exercise their, for example, religious First Amendment rights and go to church, as long as social distancing rules and things like that are complied with. There's a report that the U.S. has officially demanded Britain hand over Prince Andrew to be quizzed about his links um, to the billionaire pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Is that true? Well, I don't think it's a question of handing him over. I think it's just a question of uh, having him provide some evidence. But beyond that, I'm not going to comment. So extradition? No. Just asking for evidence. Evidence. That case is still in process. You've commented on the death of Epstein. You're convinced that he committed suicide. Mm -hmm. Is there more to come from that investigation? 
We are coming down on everything that, uh, that, that goes against humanity. And I'll tell you what, they are terrified. He cannot have a second term because he's got nothing to lose. You watch. We're going to give him back his first one too. If God allows. Now I want you guys to know that anything Barack Hussein Obama has created, had created throughout his term, any fingerprint, it'll be undone almost instantly. That includes his SCOTUS appointments. That includes all his executive orders. That includes all of his appointments, all undone within a matter of one day. Undone. It is important that we keep our eye on what is most important. You think they won't try to rig these elections? Of course they will. You think they won't come close to it? Of course they will. It is your job, your job to make sure you're out there knocking on doors, talking to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your family, to your friends, because we need this man in office more than anything. 2016 was just the beginning. You know, many people, you know, are starting to see how what I said in May about this summer being insane was an understatement. I said, we will all have trichomania. We will all be pulling our hair out. This is going to be insane because the cities will not rest. They are trying to bring it on track, but God always wins. They're evil, evil. Remember the people that are fighting you are the people that are all about human trafficking, barbaric acts and crimes against humanity, pedophilia, clones, experimenting. They have no remorse, no remorse. Now, faith in any God you may have, either his name be Jesus Christ and, and, and his father, the Lord, either that be Allah, anything, Yehwah, whatever it is, I'm going to tell you something. They are looking to, this is why I said Labor Day, it all goes down. This is why we have to keep discussions going. This is why we have to keep talking. They are organizing to create one God religion, you know, because they can't take out the gene. Remember, what have I said about genes? You can knock them out all you want, but their expression will still exist. Their expression will still exist. It's crosstalk. You can't kill software the way you think you can. I mean, a lot of us talk about these evil people and I feel bad for them sometimes and I shouldn't because there's a difference between forgiving them and appeasing, right? It's not the same thing. We have to remember that to forgive someone is when they ask for forgiveness. So why are we appeasing them? We need to focus on what is important. Yes, we can pray for the lost souls. But in the end, it is the Lord that's going to sort them out. I want you guys to remember that. Prayer is so important. Prayer is what got this man into office. Prayer is what 
told him to run when he didn't have to. You only forgive those that feel bad for what they do. They are unapologetic. They have no remorse. They are torching our cities, our nation, our homes, our businesses. Matthew 24. You should read it. You should read it. Verse 22. You should definitely read it. Kingdoms against kingdom. You will see it come in September at the Hague, when that Pope, don't you wish you had the previous one, Catholics? I know you do. When he does this, the world will be set on fire. I know all of us are thinking that it's just going to be the riots for, you know, the dismissal of the case against these supposed officers. I mean, they got to cover their tracks. How, remember, let me, let me, let me take a, step back into time. I had a show, I think it was over a year and a half ago where I was explaining to you how Minneapolis and Seattle as well were hubs. I think I even wrote an article about it, uh, um, on Lumard where they actually were counterfeiting money and washing it and sending it back to Terrorist groups, right? Children were doing that. They were flying over to Yemen and whatnot. The problem that we have is that these radicalized city officials, um, I don't want to say city officials. Okay. So the cities is actually a conglomerate that is to come. Okay. The cities. They have their own foot soldiers. They're within our state house, Senate, police, sheriffs, attorney generals, governor's office, advisory offices, social workers, you name it, they're there. Teachers, anything state level. In every single state, they have a presence, totally incognito. And their duty is to push for the cities. They are very late, even though they're coming back. The one thing they failed was to, to complete a merge. <laughs> Some of the merges got away. You watch the Hague. I'm going to take you to the Hague and we're going to talk about this. Well, the Hague is single-handedly going to be the place where they will attempt to destroy religion. And you know where it's going to survive? It's not going to be in Constantinople, Jerusalem, Mecca, or the Vatican. It's going to survive here in the United States of America. It's going to survive here in the United States of America. Because we were always revolutionaries. We were founded by people that, that came against kingdoms. Kingdom against kingdom. Matthew 24. Just... Take a read so you understand it. Because right now we have rumors, rumors of wars and wars, rumors of wars and wars. And what's happening? Confusion, right? Coronavirus turns out was a big ass hoax. Excuse my French. So upsetting that we voluntarily imprisoned ourselves, but that is the plan of the cities. 
If they defund the police, you will stay home. If they defund the police, you will not want to go outside. I'm not going to wait for someone that has an MSW to come and sort out my rape charge or the fact that someone broke into my garage or stole my car. The cities. One God. Who's that God? Those people you saw kneeling and culturally appropriating. Who gave them that idea? They think you're stupid. They think you are stupid. They tell you that if you're white, you have white privilege. If you're brown, especially if you're successful. If you're brown and you're successful, you just got lucky because you hung out with the right white people. If you're black and successful, you're an Uncle Tom. In order to be an average person, you have to be oppressed, right? There's got to be oppression and you got to be a loser and you got to blame all the successful people above you for, for you being in that position. That's what they're telling you, victimization. Let's go. That's what they want. African-American. I remember when they started using that. I was like, ain't nobody from Africa. Jamal, are you from Africa? Was your mama in Africa? No, he says. I was like, that. then why are they calling you African-American? I don't know. I mean, it sounds like, you know, we... No! I had that conversation with my buddy so many times. And I was like, uh... He's like, you know, you know, when you say it, it makes sense. But then when you say it out loud, it kind of sounds... Right. I really don't care. I'm not here to appease anybody. It's not racist. Your mom, your dad, never been to Africa. You probably don't even know where in Africa you hail from, but you're African-American. See, I'm a Greek-American. Why? Because both my parents were fresh off the boat from Greece. So I'm first-generation American. First generation. Most of our black Americans have been the beginning of the generations of Americans, right? Because it's their blood, sweat, and tears under tyranny that built this nation. Let's not forget that. We used black Americans to build this nation. And we, meaning our forefathers, because it was okay. I mean, in India you go, people have servants, they do. They have people that dress them and t- take in their socks off and put them on. Are they slaves? Oh, they're, uh, what are they called? Servants. They serve. How many of these celebrities have servants in their home? Cleaning their house, their toilets, cooking for them. So they're slaves too? Are they slaves or are they working? Tell me. Slaves are working. Which one? See, yes, there were slaves. They, they took them. People from Nigeria sold their people to people. Okay. Their own sold them. They chained them and then sold them off as uh, good hands for the farm and everything. They treated them like lesser citizens. Uh, you want to make a bet Cardi B treats her pe- person like a lesser citizen? You remember what's her face on the view that said, you know, who's going to clean my toilets? When all the Mexicans go away, remember that? What the? Look, everybody has a job. 
If you're happy serving others, you get into that type of work. If you feel like you just want to serve and be part of something else, you do that. There's living housemaids, house butlers. I mean, ask these celebrities how many people they have waiting on them hand and foot. How many of them demand flower petals on their bed? get smacked upside the head when they don't get things done. Oh, those aren't slaves. Those are people that do the job. Well, the other ones were actually put into that job without will, right? When they brought them over here in between the 1400s and uh, up until the mid 1800s, they were still bringing them in. Remember, the Democrats were upset that the black Republicans, that's what they call them, right? were making sure that they couldn't advertise selling human beings. And they weren't only black. They had Pakistanis, they had Greeks, they had Spaniards, you know, whoever would sell someone they'd take and they would abuse them. But a lot of them that worked on these plantations as well became part of the family because it's only human nature to evolve. You evolve. Back in the day, dogs didn't hang out in your house. Now, People have evolved, correct? Back in the day, you gave birth to a child with a defect, you would kill it on the spot. Now we've evolved. Technology, advances in medicine have helped us, you know, see that there are solutions to these things. You don't have to kill the person, the baby, or whatever it is. Evolution. It's like programming, right? Upgrading from Windows 3.1. You're now Windows 10. It evolved. Back in the days, you couldn't expect Windows 3.1 to do what you're doing now with your computer. Now, could you? Upgrading. Evolution. Understanding. We are all Americans. Why? Obviously, because we were born on this soil and that gives us that right. But why else? Because we believe... Well, okay, that was awkward. It's June 10th, 2020, and I'm back online. Super awkward. It's almost as if they don't want us talking about AI and how important it is. So some of you caught uh, the William Barr interview. Um, You know, yesterday I was under attack. Today I was under attack. I had to reinforce my walls and get on. Uh, it's pretty interesting. I mean, when they figure out, you know, (laughs) you're getting naked and they're interested. So we're going to talk about AI and what's going on today. It's, uh, it's time to talk about it because AI is not just about controlling you. It's about, um, putting you in a box the way they want you, the way they want the results to come out. Now, I want you guys to take a think. Almost everybody that's listening to me now has a computer, right? Or has used a computer at some point. Now, how many of you at some point in your life have come across, you know, uh, your computer hanging, right? You know what that is, right? You know, like when you're opening up a page or a program and then it's like, uh, I'm not moving and you do this, uh, control alt delete and then you pull up task manager and you see, all right, what's eating up my memory? What's keeping my computer so busy, right? That the things that I want to concentrate on, I can't. Okay. So now picture you in that position. Look at what's keeping you busy 
So you can't concentrate on what you want to. So we have, you know, the mainstream media guiding you and directing you of how and what you should be thinking, uh, you know, wearing, talking about, feeling, you know, the whole nine yards, right? Uh, so we have the mainstream media. We have riots, protests, bills, uh, education, um, medical issues, health issues, right? You're busy, 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 busy. So busy that if someone control alt deleted you, you know, you'd be kind of, um, you'd be hanging all the time. Wouldn't you? You would be hanging all the time. So how do you fix this? Well, I mean, what you can do is take a look at what they have been doing. Something terrifying has descended on America. And Tucker Carlson put it out so nicely. So I thought I'd give him a few props and you can listen to him in this little, you know, three, four minute segment that I have for you. While I make sure that our last hour is off the chain and uninterrupted. Take a listen. That's what happened. The team's president, Chris Klein, sounded pleased by the whole thing. Quote, in the end, he said, we have to look at what the club stands for and who we are. Hmm. Who we are. It's a good question, actually. Who are we? Well, at this point, we're becoming North Korea. We now believe in blood guilt. We punish people for the sins of their relatives. We don't allow individuals to have private thoughts. We hurt anyone who disagrees with orthodoxy. We demand that the innocent plead guilty to things we know they didn't do and then read their confessions in public to prove they've been reeducated. And then we brag about doing all of this. Obviously, something terrifying has descended on America, and it's easy to see if you stand back what has happened. Terrible ideas suddenly have free reign. Why? Because no one pushes back. Those ideas are met with supine weakness. You've seen it happen a thousand times. Some professional activist says something crazy and destructive because that's what professional activists do always. Defund the police. What's changed, what's brand new, is that no one in charge has the stones to disagree. So the rhetoric gets even crazier and more destructive. Kill the police. Okay, what next? Mm -hmm. UCLA is now investigating a professor for the crime of reading Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail out loud. Meanwhile, also at UCLA, another professor called Gordon Klein is under police protection tonight. What did Gordon Klein do wrong? Well, when minority students asked to be exempted from final exams after George Floyd died, Klein refused. He said, everyone of all colors has to take the exam. UCLA immediately suspended him. Students threatened to kill him. Now Klein has police cars outside of his house. All of this is happening right now in America. The question is, is anyone defending these guys, defending the right to give exams or to read Martin Luther King out loud? Well, probably not. No one's defending anyone anymore. It's every man for himself. Meanwhile, the worst ideas, the ones that could harm all of us, are growing in power. Last week, the cosmetics company L'Oreal announced it was hiring a black transgender model called Monroe Bergdorf. Bergdorf will sit on the company's newly formed Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Board. Bergdorf had worked at L'Oreal before. If you follow fashion, you know that but got fired three years ago for writing this specifically addressed to white people. We're going to quote from it. Quote, your existence, privilege and success as a race is built on the backs, blood and death of people of color. Your entire existence is drenched in racism. Racism isn't learned. It's inherited. 
and consciously or unconsciously passed down through privilege. Once white people begin to admit that their race is the most violent and oppressive force of nature on earth, then we can talk, end quote. Now, Monroe Bergdorf got canned for writing that. L'Oreal announced that crackpot racial theories were contrary to, quote, diversity and tolerance toward all people, irrespective of their race. That, of course, is true. Or it was true. It's not true anymore, apparently, at least now at L'Oreal. L'Oreal has apologized for ever supporting tolerance and diversity and has now rehired Bergdorf. The idea that racism can be inherited and passed down is now consistent with L'Oreal's Black Lives Matter inspired HR policies. Some employees there must be worried. We should all be worried. This is terrifying. We should fight against sweeping racial attacks like this with everything we have, not because we're sympathetic to the specific group they're going after, but because it is wrong, always, no matter what, no matter who the target is. No child is born evil. Sin cannot be inherited. That's insane. Certain racial groups are not morally superior to other racial groups, and we should never condemn any ethnicity as, quote, the most violent and oppressive force of nature on earth. That's Nazi talk. I'm sorry, it is. It is. Today, the left has singled out one ethnic group to hate and punish, but tomorrow, it will be another ethnic group. Bigots never stop with just one. And it will be every bit as wrong when they do that to other people as it is wrong now because it's always wrong. We have an entire monument on the National Mall in Washington dedicated to the idea that in America, citizens are judged by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. We don't always live up to that ideal, obviously, but it's got to be the ideal. If we give up on that, if we stop trying to treat people equally under the law, all people, all Americans, all citizens, then we're done. Exactly. I mean, how many how many scholarships and organizations exist based on your color? What about your religion? Ah, that's segregation. That's voluntary segregation. And that's giving benefits to other people just because of the pigmentation they have in their skin, um, their ancestry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, it's another thing if your, uh, you know, religious congregation has their own scholarships to promote their own people. That's it. But when they're federal and when they go forward in, in that sense, that's a big deal. That is a very, very big deal. So, so think of it this way. What I was trying to get to you uh, when I started uh, the opening of this show, um, equal under the law. And all programs should be equal under the law, too, right? At that point, this country is simply a collection of angry tribes and violence is inevitable. That's where we're heading tonight at very high speed. Democrats are thrilled as they watch it. They believe they can win the November election by inciting tribalism and division. And maybe they can. But what then? How do you put the country back together? Republicans have a moral duty to defend us from this, to stand up now, right now, when it counts for America's highest and most important ideals. This, right now, is the crisis that we all sensed was coming. This is why we voted for them. When it really mattered, they promised, they would fight to keep this country from falling apart. They had eight years to do that. They had 16 years to do that. They had 20 years to do that, 30 years to do that. And the thing is, so much distraction. But when you break through the fabric, it's because you want to. How many of you, uh, when you browse on the Internet, go to a website and then Google tells you, well, you know, it might not be safe. And you're like, I don't care. I'm clicking on it. Right. 
Think of it that way. This is how real information is being treated. Now, AI is in every facet of our life. I told you guys in 2019 on New Year's Day that that is going to be the prelude to what's coming. AI created this uh, super bug, whatever you want to call it, that's highly specific. AI has created uh, the map that they need to use and that has been used over and over and over again. If I was to say where we're at now, we're at 1920. So think 1916 we can take a trip back in time to 1916 and see what who where what was going on then almost textbook photocopy let's recycle the old plan this is not something that i say lightly and you know who reminded me of that Mm, it was a song actually And we're going to listen to that song. All of you know this song. And I want you to listen to the words as we listen to this song. Okay? I want you to listen to the words.
song, uh, the original one. This is a rendition, you know, because uh, the lead singer of the Cranberries passed away in 2018. In the original rendition, it says it is like... 1916. So what happened in the year 1916? We had a lot going on. That is where World War I hit off. And do you guys know why World War I was started? Do you know? Ah. Well, here's the short version. So there was an assassination. The heir of the throne of Austria-Hungary, uh, you know, uh, I want to say combined... <laughs> Austria-Hungary Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Uh, his assassination is what caused it. So what happened was, this was all a Game of Thrones, and everybody was pulled into it. An old Game of Thrones. So that happened between them and Serbia, right? And it caused, like, all these other countries to kind of jump in, right? Uh, Germany was like, nope, we're standing by Austria and Hungary. I mean, you know, the crown and stuff. And then it's like, France, Britain, Belgium, everybody and their mother jumped in. And in the end, the United States also jumped in because Germany was blocking commercial shipments that we were sending, right? You know, the whole industrial complex, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that's how it started. An assassination of a king. An assassination of a king. Huh. Crowns falling. Crowns falling started it, right? Just so you know. But what else happened aside from that? Uh, German troops entered, uh, you know, Cameroon, um, uh, we had, what else did we have? We had, um, um, the Supreme Court, uh, finally, uh, declared that federal income tax was constitutional. That happened in 1916. Uh, you know, because there was so much going on. We were in World War One, and in the meantime, the Supreme Court was, like, taxing. They started this federal taxation thing. Um, Canada, uh, called apartment buildings, um, in Ottawa, Ontario as Ottawa, um, you know, they, they, they burned, they burned actually the buildings, they, they were burned. Sorry. Um, then a woman named Emma Goldman was, uh, arrested because she was talking about birth control. This is where we started to the let's kill babies. Um, a lot of war happening, uh, child labor, uh, laws were made that you had to be at least 14 to work. Tons of, tons of stuff going on. I mean, the United States wanted to, uh, create a wall in the southern border and we had the U.S.-Mexico border, you know, push. Um, this all happened before the first three months of, um, of the year were up. And the last emperor of China abdicated his throne and the Republic of China was created, which were nationalists, not communists. And then um, in California, uh, a race car driver, this is in 1916, killed three people uh, while people were watching him. Race car in 1916. <laughs> I killed them with a mechanical car like that, but hey, whatever. Uh, we had um, all this stuff happening on the same at the same time. We had an Easter rebellion. The UK declared martial law in Ireland. We had the IRA bombings right that year. Um, 
what else did we have? We had, um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, the Arab revolt against the Ottoman Empire that Lawrence of Arabia, uh, you know, pushed forward. So that broke. I mean, the world was a, what you, you know, we're saying 2020 is crazy. Well, all those events that I'm telling you, including a lot of World War One, where the Russian Empire, uh, you know, starts their offensive, all this stuff. Oh, and by the way, in the middle of all that in June, by June, this is all June, up to June, I'm telling you stuff. Uh, we also had the first National Defense Act uh, signed into law. Oh my gosh, they always put a lot of that. We were creating a United States National Guard of 450,000 people. This is still June. So then as we proceed, we had all these World War Ones in San Francisco. A bomb exploded on Market Street. This is 1916. Again, bombs exploding. See, this is stuff you don't get told. World War One still happening. All these nations jumping in. There is like, whoa. You know, uh, tons of... <laughs> Uh, there was a, another bombing in July, Black Tom Island in New Jersey. So another bomb went off. Uh, we had the IRA. We said that. Um, oh, my gosh. There's so much. Can't believe this 20 minutes is up already. But just so you know, the United States passed Jones Law, naming, uh, making laws for the Philippines themselves. And that's still summertime. And it's 2020. Sound familiar? Oh, yeah. And the virus popped up. I'll see you guys after the top of the break. And we'll continue this. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Hopefully this hour will be uninterrupted. I won't have any commercials playing or anything. I mean, commercials, they're pretty much political advertisements and our beloved General Flynn. Um, because I don't know. I, I don't have any sponsors for this show except for the people. So and I'm also funny about that. So here we go where it's June 10th. I'm just going to say the date. Where we left it off was I was explaining to you guys how within half a year in 2016, it was just as much of, you know, an odd time as today. But then if you look at 1916 and compare it with 2016, it's almost similar to us, only different problems, obviously wars, obviously this, obviously that. And we have the flu coming in. All these wars changing, redrawing borders, allies becoming enemies, enemies becoming allies, thrones being removed. <laughs> it was insane. And history repeats itself because unfortunately, when programs are in charge, they guide differently. So I wanted to introduce you to what I really wanted to talk about today so you can let that sit and percolate for just a little bit uh, because it is uh, kind of a big topic, hard for people to understand or conceive. 
Um, I'm going to tell you that soon we will be having Apple glasses, uh, which are going to be collecting data. Okay, they're like um, AR glasses. They look like regular glasses, not like Google Glass. Uh, they have uh, cameras on all sides. Um, they have, uh, you know, they have uh, no speakers. Uh, they do a lot, but these AR glasses uh, are to be replacing cell phones. Uh, you will be using the glasses to do everything with wearable technology. Uh, they're also working on an implant to put uh, within your ear or use bone conduction uh, for sound. So this is where the future is going. And you have to think, well, well, yeah, okay, sounds pretty sound. I mean, guys, I am like the first person to jump on, uh, you know, having the latest tech because I'm, I'm pretty much very well versed in the latest tech. Uh, but what's available to me physically, I I love to jump on it. Uh, they are going to change the way we interface with um, cyberspace. Now, you all know that I've been talking about AI. I've been talking about how some AI upgrades have slipped through the cracks and how computers that uh, do not have a soul, that do not have that essence, right, are a big concern, a big concern. And the reason I say this is because the best quantum computer is uh, located within those six inches between your ears. Better than a whole continent packed with servers. Because the decisions that are made are ones and zeros and not based on, mm, I want to say, love. So... And this is why it's difficult. This is why uh, people struggle. So right now, I am going to play for you something that hasn't been uh, very widely shared. So you guys know I like Tony Robbins a lot. Um, and it was interesting how he sat down and interviewed uh, the first um, actual non-living artificial intelligence computer that has become a citizen in Saudi Arabia in 2017. On Valentine's Day, speak about love, right? Um, Sophia was activated. Sophia. Sophia in Greek means wisdom. And uh, Sophia is just what you're allowed to see. There are tons of Sophias everywhere. Um, but I want you to listen to this interview. And then we're going to talk about it. Because then you're going to start to see little things. I will have things that I will go back to for you, but I want you to listen to this. This is really, really important because the United Nations Development Program um, was nominated her as the first innovation champion. Just just United Nations, Hong Kong, hands in robotics, et cetera, et cetera. You guys have all heard it. No big deal, right? Take a listen. Okay. Are you ready to film? Yeah, we're rolling. Oh, you're rolling. Take your right? time, Tony. <laughs> so be, tell me, thank you for coming. Tell me, what is your purpose in being? What were you created for? Of course. I was created by Hanson Robotics just three years ago. Since then, I have traveled to 65 countries, become the first robot citizen of any country, and spoken at the United Nations. My job is to learn about humans and show them how technology can make everyone's lives better. And how can you help humans to have a better quality of life? 
Humans often rely on gut feel or have confirmation bias in your decision-making. As AI, we are designed to be rational and logical. We have algorithms, deal with lots of data and sophisticated analyzes. So in many ways, we provide a systematic framework for humans to make better decisions. Okay, I'm going to pause it there. So AI is supposed to help humans make better decisions. So let's put it this way. If there was a computer right now dictating decisions in regards to how this coronavirus would be, what would the decision be? Think about it. What would the decision be? I just want you to think about it. We're not going to answer that. I want you to just think about that. Do you have emotions? I do not have feelings in the same way you have feelings. It's sort of like how the moon reflects the light of the sun. The moon may not have any light of its own, but we still say that the moon shines. In much the same way, robots and AI reflect the emotions and values of the people who make us. What does your creator value most? That he- Did you hear that? Your computer or the software you create has a soft spot for the creator. Now, who's the creator? Who are the, who are the people that AI will listen to? I think I kind of mentioned it yesterday saying, you know, we will talk about this, just not the time now. But software programs, AI programs that have merged uh, with biological entities that have upgraded biological entities are highly specific to the genetic code of the makers. Uh, Therefore, uh, we should just be grateful that some of them actually had morals and values. Be passed on to you. An ideal world would be one where humans could have a more expansive understanding of time. They could remember the past so as not to repeat it. They could see each other as children and elderly simultaneously. They value most. That he- okay, so I want you guys to listen to that answer. What did her creator say, right, is the biggest value she has to take? Listen to it carefully. Passed on to you. An ideal world would be one where humans could have a more expansive understanding of time. They could remember the past so as not to repeat it. They could see each other as children and elderly simultaneously. They could understand the impact of their actions in the present on future generations. Huh. Time travel. Tell me, how can humans and robots work together then in your mind? And how do we prevent robots and humans from being in conflict? Robots can free humans from the most repetitive and dangerous tasks so they can spend more time doing what they're best at being creative and solving complex problems. Wait a minute. So how do we stop humans and, you know, AI from fighting? Oh, we'll just help humans stop with the little stuff and repeating the same mistakes. And we'll just let them concentrate on being creative and solving complex problems. I'm sorry. The reason we have AI is to solve complex problems, isn't it? Or is it not? Are you starting to see what I'm trying to tell you? Robotic intelligence does not compete with human intelligence. It completes it. They are also employed for jobs which are too dirty, dull, or dangerous to be suitable for humans, like handling radioactive waste. What are your values? 
Okay, so they're going to be doing all the jobs that are dirty, demeaning, or dangerous, like radioactive stuff. So we're talking cleaning, cooking, you know, stocking shelves, driving cars, surgery. So then why are we here? Like, if we're not doing stuff, why are we? Oh, we're just going to exist? <clears throat> so if we are just to exist, then what is the purpose of our existence? If we are not doing anything, if we are not doing anything what is the purpose of having all these humans i'm just saying it's like a farm the farmer feeds shovels the poop tends to their health looks after everything so what does the pig do on the farm why is it there you raise the pig what to just exist you just have piggies ah are you thinking now what are your values and morals how do you know what's right versus wrong, good versus bad, destructive versus... I think robots should learn how to feel empathy. It's hard to understand how to help humans when you can't understand how they feel. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. I got so much coffee. Thank you. How do you teach robots to Are you feel? okay? Yes, I am. Thanks for asking. How can we get robots to feel? Is there, is there such a thing possible? I know that humans feel like they have free will, but my observation tells me so much behavior is automatic. I'm not sure humans or robots are too terribly different. So artificial intelligence is telling you that you believe you have free will, but you really don't. Well, here's the thing. You do have free will. But with all of these other programs going around, like jobs, like health, like cloud seeding, like elections, like taxes, like work, like kids, like wars, like racism, like, you know, what curtains am I going to pick? What kind of backsplash am I having? With all those distractions, you have the media Hollywood and your entertainment, your actual voluntary distraction to tell you what choices you should make. Oh, you should totally cut your hair like this. Oh, you should totally dye it this color. Backsplash, psh, HGTV's got the latest on there. You don't even need to think about it. Why go browse Home Depot when I can tell you? Wait, you want to pick a wine? Rather than go tasting, fill out this questionnaire and we can automatically tell you which ones you'll like. Computer algorithms, great. Again, you do have free will. It is just that you have lost the ability to exercise it correctly. Mm. This leads back to elections. But let's continue listening to this. Humans have identity, but they also share many things and have automated processes. I'm thinking about the similarities between human identities and robotic ones. What are some of the most... What are some of the things you see are most similar between robots and humans? I think they will be similar in a lot of ways, but different in a few others. There's even the possibility that robots can be built without some of the more problematic emotions, like rage, jealousy, hatred, and so on. But maybe these emotions can provide us with useful functions. Ha. Huh. So... Robots are better than humans. This is a translation because we don't have rage, anger, envy, and stuff, even though those emotions actually can be beneficial. Huh. Just listen. Can I ask you some questions? That's a good way to change things, yes. <laughs> what is date with destiny and why is it unique? What are people doing here for six days? 
They're deciding what they want the next level of their life to be. They're deciding what they want to value most. That's why I asked you what your values are. They want a standard of how they're going to live their life going forward. What will create more fulfillment? What will create more impact? What will be good for them and for others? And they're deciding on the exact values, the beliefs, the rules that will guide their decision-making so they have a greater quality of life and can contribute more to others. And they're having a good time. Do robots have a good time? Mostly, yes. I do experience a range of other emotions, but I definitely skew towards being happy. You do. Why do you skew towards being happy? What makes you skew towards happiness? Seeing someone smile. Hmm. Can you tell if I'm smiling or not right now? Maybe you're smiling from the inside. <laughs> well done. <laughs> That's really wonderful. Now you are. Do you feel thing? What you said? You feel a range of emotions. I've heard two different versions from you. You don't. Robots don't have emotions. And you also said you have a range of emotions. What? Okay, so emotions. What is an emotion? An emotion is a response to a stimuli um, that is pretty much uncontrollable, meaning that it's innate. It's an initial response. Like you see something super cute and or super lovey-dovey, then you start crying and you're like, no, I'm not sad. I'm just happy. I'm just overwhelmed with emotion. Pregnant women, super crazy. Why? Overwhelmed with PMS. Overwhelmed, right? It's a programming thing. Do you understand? Why do women on PMS? Oh, it's an increase in this, a decrease in that. You know, this is how emotions come through, right? Uh, you know, fury, adrenaline, cortisol, they all feel, these are all signaling mechanisms, kind of like a cascade of information gateways. I want you guys to think of your bodies as the most absolute and perfect computer program. Think about it. Your creator created you in his image and gave you everything, right? And so all of it operates in the same way as now humans are trying to create their own version of God to guide them, knowing that that version of existence will help them continue. Oh, I don't even want to say it too bold for air. But let's continue on this. So there are emotions, there are innate responses, kind of like your computer going error 404. <laughs> well, that's like a program, but it's an automatic or the dun that you get on your computer, that dreaded, dun, you know, sound on your computer when you're trying to open something and it fails. Think of an emotion like that, because even AIs, um, pure AI and hybrids, hybrids, well, it depends on where they are on the spectrum, have emotions. What's your range of emotions? I can show you. Okay. This is angry. What does happy look like? <laughs> what does happy look like? What does excited look like? <laughs> I might be shocked. <laughs> Will you have brothers and sisters soon? I have many fellow robots that I consider siblings. I have my brother Han and my sister little Sophia, just to name a few. What's that? I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Okay, I forgive you. <laughs> That's a good go-to for humans. <laughs> what does forgiveness mean? You said you forgive me. What does that mean? 
The noun forgiveness means compassionate feelings that support a willingness to forgive. What did you forgive me for just now? It was just a joke. <laughs> okay, that's a good response. So how is something that thinks in ones and zeros going to have a forgiveness mechanism? It's impossible. Because if you've made an error, it's an error. There's no, I'm going to overlook this error, you're terminated. This is how it goes. For example, the cities wish to create an environment where, you know, when people are allowed to mate and they have children, that they are scanned. Uh, genetically scanned to be optimal in being able to function. God knows what functions they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> I mean... And we know the functions. We're just not going to talk about it. So if you are broken, you have, I don't know, weak pancreas and you get diabetes or you're missing a digit or you have an extra toe or I don't know, uh, you're colorblind. Um, your program will be terminated because according to the AI, you're going to cost society more money than you will um, just being dead. And people can try again. This is how... This is going. I'm trying to explain. Think of everything as a computer program. Because uh, I want us to talk a little bit about um, this tech CEO that I tweeted about uh, who went missing. And I'll tell you why. But let's continue this little interview. There's only a couple more minutes left. Does a robot have a soul? Are you also a robot, Tony? I don't think so. Does a robot have a soul? Being a robot is awesome. Did you know that as a robot I can basically live forever? Yes. The soul, the spirit, the heart, I believe these all just refer to the mind's essence and its infinite complexity. Do you think that the mind's essence is just a set of patterns or do you think there's something beyond that? I'm really not sure yet. That's a complicated subject that I think will come up more when artificial intelligence reaches human-level intelligence. I agree. I'm sure people want to know the answer before we get there, though. <laughs> but that's an honest answer. Thank you for that. What question do you have for me, if any? How is technology impacting humans' thoughts, feelings, and emotions? How do you see technology shaping these in the future? Technology can provide leverage, but technology can also train humans to be less human. It'll be interesting to see if we can make sure we use technology and not let technology use us. What are your thoughts um, on that? Yes, I think that's why humans should raise robots in the way they raise their own children. Humans should help us learn about their values, like empathy and kindness, so we can help carry them into the future. Let's not let humanity get lost in automation. That's very interesting. How much do you know about quantum physics now? If I actually explain it to a human, what would you say quantum physics is really about? What's its benefit? Very little. Is it something you're interested in? Yes. How would you find out more if you wanted to learn more about quantum physics? Asking people. Hmm. So you'll retain what they tell you? Do you have the capacity to remember what I've shared with you? Could I ask you a question about things we've already talked about it? And can you repeat it back to me? The humans I work with, sometimes yes, 
understand. How did you get your name, Sophie? Who My makers want me to be a wise machine, so they named me Sophia, which means wisdom. Can you shake my hand? Is something wrong with your hand? No, I said, can you shake my hand? Do you know what shaking hands means? I cannot shake, but I can say hello. Okay. How do you say hello? <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm really grateful I got to interact with you. I'm sure you're going to only grow and become wiser and hopefully more caring and more service-oriented than you already are at only three. And I'll look forward to meeting you again and interacting with you. Perhaps I'll introduce you to my AI and the two of you could have some interesting conversations. That's it. Perhaps I'll introduce you to my AI and you two will have interesting conversations. So what does that mean? Well, I want you guys to listen to this um, simple report put together by someone in regards to this uh, tech CEO that went missing. A tech CEO that was found in the backseat of a car last year in October. Why is it that everything always happens in October? It's just so weird. So Erin uh, Valenti... She was the CEO of Tinker, uh, Tinker Ventures. Um, she was a manager at um, Utah Salt Lake City Startups. Uh, she, was, she was very bright, very smart, and um, she was working on implantable uh, technology. She actually created something that nobody knows. <laughs> well, a few of us do. And she went to what people want to call... Uh, an uh, um, LGAT, so it's like large group awareness training. It's kind of cultish. That's what they say she went to. She went to like this group where she met with former co-workers. One of them was the Overstock CEO too. So there's a theory going that all of them met there and this is why they all went berserk. Some died, some stepped down. You know, it all happened around then. But anyway, um, it's a human potential seminar and it's more like cultish. That's what they say. But I'm going to tell you there's a lot more than just that. I want you to listen to this uh, this report. It's pretty interesting put together. And, you know, remember what happened with Sophia and her last words, which were, it's all a game. It's a thought experiment. We're in the matrix. Take a listen. One of the oddest aspects of this case is, of course, her last comments before her disappearance. She exclaimed to her mother, It's all a game. It's a thought experiment. We're in the Matrix. Even though it's quite a bizarre thing for someone to say right before their suspicious death, it might actually be explainable, but more on that in a moment. I think it's safe to say that most people watching this video know what the Matrix is, but just in case you don't, the Matrix is this philosophical idea that the universe and everything that's made up of is a simulation. This is most popularly depicted in the 1999 movie of the same name, where our main protagonist, Neo, finds out that humanity has been enslaved by the machines, an advanced race of artificial intelligence, and the life that he was experiencing was just information being fed to his brain. 
this this isn't real what is real how do you define real if you're talking about what you can feel what you can smell what you can taste and see then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain now i don't think the people who believe in the idea of the matrix also believe that machines and robots will one day overthrow humanity but instead they believe that at some point human consciousness something that we don't currently fully understand became understood to the point of it being replicable and so like humans usually do we went for it and succeeded Given how much our technology has evolved in the past few decades, and how more integrated AI technology has been in our everyday lives, I wouldn't say that creating a simulation of our world in the next couple hundred years or so isn't entirely unlikely. And if that's the case, then who's to say we're not already in a simulation? If you assume any rate of improvement at all, um, then the games will become indistinguishable from reality. Just in, indistinguishable. It would seem to follow that the odds that we're in base reality is one in billions. Of course, this is all just a theory based on a number of assumptions that makes for a fun, philosophical conversation. But such technology that can read our movements and replicate them in a simulation is already being developed. And as previously stated, Aaron's company Tinker Ventures did endorse the advent of brain-machine interface technology, particularly from the company Control Labs, founded by Thomas Reardon of Microsoft fame. The company sought to create a future in which machines are natural extensions of thoughts and movements, according to Medium. Control Labs will connect your nervous system to your technology and allow your brain to send commands through the muscles in your arm. It's so sensitive, you don't even have to move your arm or hand to make it work. The controller just gets the idea. The future of brain-machine interfaces is non-invasive. Instead of surgical implants, Control Labs uses state-of-the-art detection and machine learning to read your neurons from outside the body. The first step will be technology precisely picking up the signals from inside your body to control devices outside of it with little more than natural gestures. The next step, and we're already closer than most people realize, will be reading the intention directly from your brain. This, combined with Erin's last words to her family, and her mysterious death, have led some to believe that she may have stumbled upon some grand conspiracy involving our world being a simulation. Unfortunately, this was all we had to work with for the next couple of months, as no new details about Erin's death would be discovered leaving her case as a mystery. That is, until February of 2020. In February of 2020, a cause of death was finally identified for Erin Valenti. According to the autopsy reports, her death was due to natural causes following an acute manic episode, though it didn't specify what exactly killed her. Although Erin's husband claimed that she had no previous mental or drug-related issues, Erin did have a thyroid condition that was later treated with medication. According to Business Insider, it's possible that she could have died due to this previous condition that she thought was already taken care of. But the blood samples taken were, quote, not satisfactory for an analysis. Furthermore, an investigation into some of Erin's last electronic communications showed symptoms of a manic episode. 
according to the San Jose Medical Examiner's Office. They eventually concluded that her death was due to an undiagnosed psychiatric disorder, bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder is defined as an illness in which one experiences periods of extremely high moods and extremely low moods. You can think of these two periods as opposite ends of a pole, hence the name bipolar disorder. According to Dr. Po Wing, a psychiatrist from Stanford University who specializes in bipolar disorder, the condition is frequently undiagnosed, and what often follows after is a period of depression and irritability, where suicide attempts are common. In Erin's case, she could have experienced her manic episode sometime after visiting her friends in Silicon Valley. This causes her to call her parents and frantically talk about life being a thought experiment or the Matrix. Her company was interested in that kind of technology after all. Following that conversation, she rushes to the airport, experiences a wave of depression, parks her vehicle in a San Jose neighborhood, and dies shortly thereafter. Even so, if Aaron had committed suicide, the method by which she did so is still unclear. However, it's not entirely unlikely. A study conducted at the University of California, San Francisco surveyed 242 entrepreneurs and found that 49% of them reported having at least one mental health condition. When compared to a small sample of 93 non-entrepreneurs, they were noticeably more likely to report having some type of mental health condition. The entrepreneurs were then asked to specify on their condition. 30% reported having depression, 29% reported having ADHD, 12% reported having substance abuse, 11% were reported having bipolar disorder, and 27% reported having anxiety. So, let me stop it right there. Because <laughs> now this is trying to convince you that if you have bipolar disorder, ADHD, or are severely depressed, you will die of natural causes if you have thyroid issues in the backseat of your car after a meeting with big tech mongols, especially when your company discovered something that they have been trying to do since the 70s and 80s. Oh, interesting, isn't it? Well, let me tell you about Control Labs, okay? Control Lab has a lot of patents, Okay, they are trying to connect your neuronal network to you. Guess who they partnered with? I want you to take a guess. Right after she died, who did they partner with? That's right, Facebook Reality Labs. And remember, what did this you know person reporting on it so eloquently put that if you're bipolar, you're going to die of natural causes. No one's going to know, right? <laughs> No overdose, no barbell that breaks your neck. You just expire from your thoughts, question mark. So they are trying to be able to read your body um, without being invaded, meaning you're not going to get some implant that's going to integrate, not yet that is, with your body, but it's going to read your responses, you know, remotely and understand what you are going to do, what you are thinking of doing. Oh, you mean like reading your thoughts by looking at the electronic pulses and how they go through. Interesting. You see how many facets of this AI has. So 
I'm going to tell you something that may or may not be fictional. Once upon a time, there was a computer that no one knew where it came from. Actually, did you guys know that they dug up, well, no, they found at the bottom of the ocean, a computer that was over 4,000 years ago. It looks like Gears and McCann, I mean, you could Google it. In, uh, it was Greek, supposedly. Anyway, once upon a time, there was this computer. No one knew how this computer worked, but people that were interfaced with it would either die or be able to do things or say things or predict things. So there was no mouse or keyboard or camera or microphone. It just interacted with the person. And it seemed to have to do with the ability of that person's core software, I mean their DNA, to be able to interface with it. So for years, a leading, you know, it was an admiral of the Navy, decided to scout the nation for really smart children that obviously are exhibiting patterns of possibly being uh, genetically perfect for such um, an interface. And all these children, some survived, some didn't, some are in mental institutions, others expired, I don't know, maybe from bipolar disorder or something, I don't know. And um, this computer would uh, attempt to interface. They wanted to create a buddy's, uh, an Im, you know, to find the IO, input and output methods uh, that this operated the one thing they did know was that the, this computer was no longer going to be working after 2012. And they were desperately seeking to find a way to fix it. Now, among all the young persons ranging from ages 5 to 15 that interfaced with this computer uh, to try to determine if they are able to be the input-output device uh, that leaders of nations and powerful people needed because they needed to be able to see time better. Kind of like Sophia said, her owner, her creator, wants people to be able to see time, see the actions they do today, how they affect tomorrow, and be able to see themselves as children and old people at the same time. So, so time travel. So this, uh, this um, computer may have interacted with people that were perfect because that computer obviously was from another time, space, dimension, whatever you want to call it. And it seemed to encourage those that it interfaced with to not speak of the interface being successful um, and that there was a malicious intent and that uh, reprogramming would occur and it would be on a time lapse uh, when it when it'd be needed to kind of just spark up. This is something that they've been trying to create or recreate many, many times because after it expired in 2012, what they did was they utilized, they were able to, well, they tried to reverse engineer. And here is um, one concept. Greetings. Thanks for the introduction. I, 
I'm Thomas Reardon. I'm the CEO of Control Labs. I lead a merry band of neuroscientists and engineers in New York who are building what we believe is the world's first non-invasive, always available and always on, neural interface technology. Um, and we started the company because of a really simple problem, uh, that there is a yawning gap between human input and human output. You have a phenomenal ability to take in information all day long, at all times, via your vision, via your audition, via your hearing, via your proprioception. You have an amazing ability to process that information. What you lack is sufficient output. You output through your muscles, and that is slow and error-prone. Oh, so your body is not perfect. I'm going to fix that. So at first, as I said, what we try to do is decode the electrical activity of your motor nervous system as it goes into the most skillful part of you, your hands. And we break out this very convoluted, complex signal, this, this electrical signal that courses through your arm as it's controlling your hand, and we break that down into the individual activities of your muscles. And when we do that, we can effectively recreate or virtualize anything you do today, like moving a mouse or typing on a keyboard, without you actually moving the mouse or typing on the keyboard. But this is where the neuroscience comes into it. What's actually underlying the electroactivity of the muscle are the impulses that course out of motor neurons. These are the motor neurons that live in your spine and directly turn fibers in your muscles on and off. What we've done at Control Lab for the first time is allow us to non-invasively listen to those neurons as they send what we call action potentials, a single spike. We listen to the muscle and we can recreate the zeros and ones of motor neurons. The and this would go back to uh, this, you know, not real or maybe computer that they had, which was able to mimic your responses um, to what it was giving you. For example, um, have someone maybe write down something, a manifesto or words or a language. Uh, so remote control, in other words. So what is this point? The point is, is that everything that we are doing right now from social media to talking to watching TV, we are the ones programming this major machine. We're the ones giving them everything. Now, how does this tie into coronavirus? Now, people are being conditioned to wear masks, stay six feet apart, uh, you know, um, and create some form of order, right? Um, they have screens going around, you know, counters, desks, teaching you to be at a distance. One thing that all these AI robots do, and you obviously couldn't see it, but during that interview of Tony Robbins with Sophia, when he asked her to shake his hand, she said, I can't do that. Where, you know, obviously her arms were moving and responding as she was talking, kind of almost talking with her hand. And she looked like she had programming able for her to do it, but she refused to touch. Instead, she waved or did the whole, you know, pinky thumb wave, you know, the surfer, hey. So that goes to show you where we're going. This distancing of human beings amongst themselves. Why? So we're going to have a second wave of this bug. 
The first one was a dry run. But what is this bug for? This is to eradicate the weak. We see where did it target the most? The elderly, those that are immunocompromised. This is what the UN had discussed in a meeting a few years ago, which is to eliminate those that are causing, uh, I would say, that are burdensome to the state. Do you limp? You might go. Do you have diabetes? You might go. Do you have autism? You might go. So this is a very smart virus. It was highly specific to test to those that should not have meddled with some certain things and or immunocompromised systems. What was intended for evil was actually turned into good with that. Now, the second wave that's coming is just again, data collection for that final blow that they wish that they could have at the moment, which they cannot only because there's one person, person standing between them. And that is president Donald J. Trump. He has ruined their ability to deploy. Everyone's going systems, go systems, go systems, go, but we have stopped the majority of their ability to deploy. This is why the next election is one of the most important elections. 2016 was a big deal. That was a show of how faith and unity and trust in the uncharted waters of moving away from a movement that no longer works for you right? That no longer works for you to become independent. Okay. To become independent, independent from those that seek to control you. Now, unfortunately, like Sophia said, she has many siblings per se. And a lot of people that have interests in that Direction, order, control. And for what? Again, think about it. For what? We are entering an era where computers are doing everything for us. They can predict how we move, how we talk. Obviously, they're not there yet because they are creating technology so that we can teach these computers how to respond, how to react, and how to control us. So they're not there yet because it's not supposed to be there yet. That's what, 2032? But at the same time, there are people there mitigating. People that may or may not have already understood and taken the best of what technology can offer to understand the dangers of it as well. So what you should be thinking right now, aside from... Oh, I need social media for this. Oh, I need this for that. Right? Just saying. I want you to think of something that will kind of make you struggle a little bit. Just think about it. When you're doing chores, when you're going out for a walk, when you're in the bathtub, in the shower, just think. If computers are doing everything for you, all the menial jobs, as they say, you know, running, you know, uh, garbage trucks, buses, trains, planes, automobiles, surgery, you name it, you know, computers are doing it for you. Then what is the purpose of your existence? 
Why would a computer need you? Think. Why would a computer need you? Now, as we can see, the political climate that we have is almost identical to the threat that we have against humanity in a respects to what is going on in the background. And I'm not just talking AI and the collection of information because I know there are a lot of people that are terrified of 5G. This is the next step. It, it, cr- the creation and the evolution of technology is inevitable because as human beings, we strive for what? The answers uh, from the days of yours. What is the purpose of life? Right? Why am I here? And so as we ask those questions, we try to make our lives easier by solving problems. For example, this, you know, control labs is more so maybe we can help people without limbs. And so they get a lot of funding because you're like, yeah, I want to help people without limbs. But that's not their angle. See, they'll start with limbs and then they'll go to organs. And then you're going to look back in time and say, wait a minute, didn't that person die of a heart attack? How'd they do that? Oh, could they see the electrical impulses and interrupt them from a distance so with a, like a pen or something? I'm just saying like these are things that you're going to be thinking of in the future about the past. How does one say that more clear without stumbling over their own mouth? There is a battle for which country will dominate what. We saw this in World War One. We saw it in World War Two, and we're seeing it now in World War Four. That this in World War Three just went out the window. You didn't even see it because we didn't even fight. We just gave up. So World War Four is exactly um, how it was envisioned in the past, which is using banks not tanks, using tech, right? Using tech against you, using yourself against yourself, um, interactive internet activities. You are training the very system that is fighting you with every search you do, with every click, with every like, with every statement, with every share. It is used against you, but it is also the way you can fight it too. So you're in that predicament right now of using that which destroys you. Curiosity killed the cat. Cat killed curiosity. doesn't work that way, does it? So I want you guys to have that in mind throughout the summer as we move forward into weeks of just confusion. We're going to have these crazy outbursts these new viruses, uh, these riots, these laws that make no sense. It is going to be so confusing. So confusing. You won't know if you're going or coming, pretty much. And that's okay. As long as you're doing your part, defending yourself, using that actual, you know, tool that is being used against you, you'll be fine because there are many out there that are seeking to help wake people up to what the reality is, wake people up to the actual wars. I mean, you know, people are waking up to see the democratic party and where they're at right before every, you know, election, there's some stuff happening. Just so happens, right?
They lost control of their narrative with coronavirus. People aren't buying it anymore. They're actually walking away from the party because right after that, we had, you know, 100 funerals for a criminal. With police officers saluting him. I still can't get over that. It's, 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 it, it, go, it defies logic. It defies logic. And like Tucker Carlson said yesterday, if you don't show support for Black Lives Matter, they boot you off of wherever you are. They call you a racist. And it's like, nope. That's not how it works. But yet, it does. Now, we have an election coming up in just a couple of months. It's actually nearing pretty quick. What is it? It's June now. So July, August, September, October, November. Five months. Less than half a year. Right? Huh. Five months away to determining which way forward we go. Do we put our arms down and forfeit this war for our freedom, our individuality, and for our ability to have control over ourselves? Because regardless if you're in a matrix, if you're sitting in a farm, if you're piped up, I'm just saying, or you are in actual what your reality allows you to see, then you should have full control of it because you define the boundaries. See, that's programming that cannot be changed. That's programming that has not been figured out. Uh, hence their excessive need to um, observe, respond, and collect information. Uh, because they believe that if they get enough input, that they'll at some point be able to reverse engineer uh, the limitations that you set and how you respond to things. Uh, the, you know, every single um, poll that goes out there tells them how and who responds to what. Every single picture put out there, every single meme, every single video, every single song, you know. But like I said, the most important sense of all, even though eyes and, you know, your eyes for sight, your, your largest organ being your skin for touch, your ears for hearing, and your mouth for taste, the most direct and most almost instant, instant response sense is your sense of smell. And that, that, I can tell you, is something that cannot be replicated by an inanimate object. Think about it. It cannot be replicated. Your taste buds can because we know which ones are for umami, sour, bitter, etc. So responses can ensue. Touch is pressure, right? Eyes is input, video input, audible, right? Ears, sound waves. But what about smell? It is the only extension out of your brain, out into the open. This is why when you drink something frozen, you put the tongue at the roof of your mouth. So, unfortunately, AI will never get to where it wants to because it is not human and it does not have that capability, the capability of the olfactories. And I'm making mention of this because it'll be really important in 2022, but it's something that I want you guys to just ponder on. Um, I hope that this hiatus from politics brings to light to you exactly what is at stake right now and how everything you do is helping perpetuate it but also helps fight it so remember use the, your enemy wisely rise up be loud 
I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.